our consideration for today <clears throat> is from an unknown source. Uh, but only that which is eternal is important. And so this person writes this. It's very interesting that over the triple doorways of the Cathedral of Milan, there are three inscriptions spanning the splendid arches. Over one is carved a beautiful wreath of roses, and underneath is the legend, all that which, is, all that which pleases is but for a moment. Over the other is sculpted a cross, and there are the words, all which troubles us is but for a moment. But underneath the great central entrance to the main aisle is the inscription, that only is important, which is eternal. If we realize always these three truths, we will not let trifles trouble us, nor be interested so much in the passing pageants of the hour. We would live as we do now for the permanent and the eternal. And that makes a huge difference. And so you notice how in the world system you see all kinds of different things. They come and they go. Controversies, they come and they go. Only that which is eternal will last. And you see that. I mean, 2,000 years ago, uh, Christianity came into existence a little bit over that. And as you understand the truths of God's word, those have never changed. You've had upheavals in world history has come and it's gone. And the truth of God's word has stayed the same. And that makes a difference. So we come to our message today on ministry. It's our third spiritual gift that we wanted to point out. And uh, so we did a spiritual gifts chart. Uh, my wife did an excellent job in the program in giving you a, in a center fold here of the spiritual gifts. And so what we tried to do with this is try to give you uh, an insight into the spiritual gift, the function of the gift, the identifiable trait in each spiritual gift, the effect that it has on the body, and then biblical examples of who exemplify those spiritual gifts. Some of them, you know, I'm not saying that they, uh, some of them are pretty easy to see. Some of them, you know, may be a stretch, but I think that they, they really would probably illustrate it. So the only one that I really think, James, uh, as under administration, well, he seemed to be the pillar of the church in the early church, and he was uh, organizing and leading things, and that's why I used him there. <clears throat> but some of the other ones are pretty uh, cut and dried. But what I wanted to do was give you an illustration from Scripture that you could be able to see some of these people with the gift and to be able to see how it functioned. And so hopefully this will help you to be able to see each of these spiritual gifts and how they work so that you might be able to understand how God is using you. And notice in that identifiable trait, I keep using the word yearn. And I think that that is the thing that uh, separates a person with the gift from somebody who doesn't. So, for example... Uh, with uh, the gift of pastor teacher, which is what I have, um, there is a yearning to want to study, to want to see people get the truth right, right? Well, not everybody has that yearning. And it doesn't mean that just because you don't have that yearning that you don't care about scripture, you see. So somebody with that gift is going to yearn to do that over and above what the average believer is able to do. For example, somebody with the gift of evangelism is going to yearn to see people saved. And they want everybody else to have that yearning. But everybody else is not going to have that yearning. But that person with that gift has an ability and they yearn to do it over and above what the average believer is, is, is able to do. And then you look at yourself and you say, well, why do I have this yearning to do this? Well, I believe it's because it's your gift. I really believe that's why. And... 
The other believers, it doesn't mean that, and, and this is where the problem has come with evangelism, is most pastors or people who have the gift of evangelism, they want everybody to yearn like they do. There's nothing wrong with you wanting everybody to yearn like they do, and God can use that to direct people in the right way, but everybody doesn't have that gift, you see. And that's a big thing when you understand it. And so I yearn that everybody study the, the word of God. But everybody's not going to study the word of God like a person with the gift of pastor teacher. They will study it, but, you know, they'll get to a point where they say, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Right. You're not going to. I don't expect some of you to have um, concordances, four and five concordances at your house. I don't expect you to be Greeks or Hebrew scholars. Right. But, you know, and some of you might want to do that. But I've seen that there are people who are starting those classes and they just say, okay, I'm done. (laughs) It's just not how you're made up. And so God will direct someone with that gift in ways that he doesn't direct other people. And it's okay. And I think that's really important to understand because I think that some people have been made to feel guilty that they don't act like other people. And this has been a source, I think, of of, uh, really uh, misusing the saints. Because just because you don't have the yearning that a person with the gift of pastor teacher does about the word doesn't mean that you're scum. You see, and so and just because I've seen people who have the gift of showing mercy, they go to distance with people and I'm already like, okay, I'm done with that. (laughs) I'm so done with this person. Right. But they with their gift of mercy will go the extra. Oh, they're going to be okay. God's going to still use them, right? And you and I are sitting there thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so this is kind of, this is how the gifts work. And so you have this ability that the person that has the gift has a, they're being endowed and empowered in a way that the average believer is not being empowered. And it doesn't mean that you can't do that. It doesn't mean that you can't show mercy. It doesn't mean that you can't study like the person with the gift of pastor teacher. It doesn't mean that you can't evangelize. But what it means is that you don't yearn to do it and you're not going to do it in the way that that person with the gift can do it. And that's very important to understand. And I think it really helps you and me as believers to understand that God has gifted us differently. It doesn't mean that we can't do it. It means that we're not going to be empowered in the way that that person that has the gift can do it. And that's really important to understand. So you will see that there are people who are able to do things that and over and above that you can do. And it's OK that you can't do it. It's OK. The person with the gift of ministry, you'll see, they have the ability and the desire. They just seek out stuff to do, these tasks that are needed to be done in the church, and they seek it out. And they desire to do stuff that nobody else even cares about doing. And it doesn't bother them. They do it, and they're just happy doing it. And other people might feel guilty. Well, look at that person. I mean, they're doing everything. I mean... Shouldn't I be taking out the trash? Shouldn't I be doing this other stuff? Well, maybe you can do it, okay. But that person does it, and you might do it and say, I hate doing this. <laughs> right? And I see it. And so people do stuff, and they don't really want to do it. And then, you know, they, they're put in a situation, and sure, we can do it for a little bit, but that person with the gift, they, just, they are empowered. They don't, they, don't, they don't get tired as easy as we do. Right. 
And that makes a huge difference when you understand it. So here you have this person with the gift of ministry, and we find it over in Romans, the 12th chapter. And so in Romans chapter 12, again, I think that what you find here is most of the spiritual gifts that are in existence today. It's really interesting. There's only one, I think, here, prophecy that's not used for today. But most of these gifts are, that are mentioned here are in existence today. And, and the opposite is true. When you get over to 1 Corinthians 12, you find most of the gifts that were temporary. And so notice he says in verse, uh, uh, we'll go back in verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your lot. You really, you could translate that as your reasonable service is your logical priestly service. So every believer, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, that every believer, uh, chapter 2, every believer is a priest. Every single believer is a priest. And what do we offer up to God? We don't offer up um, lambs today or total doves, but we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God today. And so sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of giving. Uh, And so a sacrifice of your body is the thing that you offer up to God. It's the first thing that you really need to offer up to God. If you are functioning as a believer priest, God wants your body. And not a dead body. I mean, it would be easier to die, right? Oh, I'm living, I'm going to go die for God. Well, you only die once. <laughs> it's easy to do. Well, I won't say easy. <laughs> living for him, it's more difficult. When you say, I'm going to offer up my body, you're saying, I, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. I'm going to be used by you to do whatever you want me to do. That is the most difficult thing to do, because I think that you've been trained, and particularly in America, we've been trained that your life is your own. You do what you want to with your own life. And everybody grows up and they have all these ideals of what they want to do. And God is not one of them. What God wants is not one of them. And so that's the hardest thing. But if you're spiritual as a believer, the first thing God wants is your body. And I believe this is key, because if you offer up your body a living sacrifice all of the other things that God wants you to do, they're, they're, they're made easier, you see. But that's the hardest thing because a lot of believers don't want to let go of their life and their goals and their views of their life. They want to hold on to what they want or what their parents had for them in life or what someone else, some expectation somebody else had for them in life. I wanted to be a sports writer. And to be a millionaire by the time I was 30, those were my goals. And God had to slap me around a couple of times before I came to myself <laughs> and, and saw that that wasn't what God wanted for me. It was very difficult to come to that conclusion, that that wasn't God's will for my life. And so when you do, it really opens the door to you understanding the will of God. And I could see that. It really happened. That when you offer your body a living sacrifice, now you can understand what God's will is for your life. You will never understand the will of God if you don't offer your body a living sacrifice. And I think there's a lot of the trouble that believers are engaging in today is that they're trying to figure out life apart from understanding God's will for their life, you see. And then they're getting themselves into all kinds of trouble because of it. And so he, he says that, you said in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, or really it's this age. And so they were trying to, to conform themselves to the legal age in the context there of the uh, book of Romans, 
but be transformed by the renewedness of your mind. And so God has already renewed the mind of the believer. Your mind is renewed. Every one of us, when we were saved, got a new, uh, that we were regenerated in the realm of our spirit. Unfortunately for a lot of believers, they never use it. They never use it. And you have to be filled by the spirit to use it. And a lot of believers never live in that renewed mind. And that's the problem that a lot of believers face. I've said in First Peter, we, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We're not lacking anything. So what's the problem? It ain't God. And, the, and so when we get into these things where we want to do our own will, we want to do our own thing, it really makes it difficult for us to find ourselves in the will of God. And we have trouble, trouble, trouble. And we end up singing, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. <laughs> and I can tell you, it kind of works that way. And so he says, you were transformed by the renewing of your mind, or really, I would say the renewedness of your mind. And notice this transformation, what it does, that you might be able to prove or put to the test what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see? If you don't understand what God's will for your life is, and that's predicated on you offering your body a living sacrifice. You know all you're doing in life? You're just rolling the dice. You're making decisions and just rolling the dice. Ah, let me see if this works. Let me see if this works. And before you know it, you just keep hitting your head against the wall. And I've seen some people who have hard heads. They just keep butting their head against the wall. They keep running into dead ends and they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the stubbornness will not allow them to yield to what God wants. And it, and it really, the bloodletting gets kind of nasty <laughs> when you see it and what people do to themselves. And so notice he says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. And so this idea of hooper um, uh, freneo, not to frame yourself above what is necessary. So here's what is necessary. God gives me a gift of faith to use my spiritual gift but it's to use that gift. And so I can be confident and you can be confident in using your spiritual gift that this is who God has me. This is how God has made me. But you're not to supposed to think of yourself above that. You see, so just because you are able to be a great evangelist, you're not to say to yourself, I'm better than anybody else in the body. And now you're going above what is necessary. And he says, not to think of himself more highly as he ought or as is necessary, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man to measure of faith. And so we'll look at this on the other side of to looking at the gifts that God gives to each believer the faith to use your spiritual gift. And I've just seen it with people who are able to do things in their spiritual gift and the confidence that emanates from it. That there is a confidence that you can have in using your spiritual gift. And it don't come from you. God provides that. And so notice he goes on, he says, for as we have many members in one body and all members are of the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. And so look at the body as being each one of us with these various gifts are part of the body. And the body is functioning properly when everyone is using their gift. It really is a hard thing to understand how we got to this point in the church where people think that the only gift is the pastor teacher. That it's not, it's so unbiblical to see that. It's not biblical. 
every other gift. And really what you'll see as we move forward is that the, it's, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the gifts that are not seen, that are not out front, that are actually more important than the gifts that are out front. And so you say, well, I don't see that. Well, do you see your heart? Why don't I take it out? You can do without an arm. You can do without an eye. You can't deal without a heart. So what's more important? The thing that you see or what you don't see? And that's the analogy that God gives. I didn't give that analogy. God gives that analogy. And so notice he says, uh, verse 5, so... um, we are members one of another. Now notice verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our ministry, let us wait on our ministering. And we'll see that. That's really not a good translation there. Uh, but it's, we'll look at that. And so we have this gift of ministry. And uh, I don't think I prayed yet ever. I've been going on and on for about a word of prayer before we get started. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity for this gift of ministry. Thankful for those who have this gift because they and how they function in the church, that they're able to allow the church to function in such a way that helps the church to accomplish its uh, ends that you desire of the, the body and then the local church. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we have this word for ministry, and it's the word diakonos. Uh, and it's used to identify this gift of ministry. But there's several different words that are used in Scripture of ministry, and we want to kind of look at some of those before we go into diakonos. And so you have the word hupertes. And so you have a hupertes as a minister, and it's the lowest form of minister or servant. And it's like a, 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 only uh, slave ships when they were coming over, uh, or even all of these ships, they had this hupertes, and he was the underroar. And he would set the pace for what was going on and how the, ro- the, the uh, ship was rowed. And so that's the word behind it. And I would give it this definition. It's an underroar, the lowest form of servitude. The focus is upon the level of servitude. And so I gave you Acts 20, but we won't go there. Look at First uh, Corinthians 4, and you see it again. And Paul uses this uh, in talking about himself as an apostle in the church in First Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, And so he says, so let a man account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery. And that word um, uh, ministers there is the word who pertains. And so Paul never saw himself, even though he was the steward of the dispensation, he never saw himself as being better or greater than other people. He just never saw himself that way. He saw himself as like a third level galley slave. And really... From a believer's point of view, uh, a guy, guy in our church when we were growing up used to say this all the time, there ain't no big eyes or little U's. <laughs> you see, there isn't. We're all one in the body of Christ, and there's nobody better than the other. And that idea of Hooper taste is how Paul saw himself. He always saw himself as a low slave. And so you have the all, so this word, uh, uh, Liturgies. Now, this is an interesting word for minister because it's used most of the time of the people that God is using in the world, and many of them are unsaved. 
that they are seen as ministers of God. Do you know that God uses unsaved people as ministers? There was a guy who was speeding, a preacher, and uh, the cop pulled him over and said, you're speeding. And he says, that's okay, sir, I'm just telling you, I'm on my way to church and I'm a minister of God and I'm trying to get to church. And the cop says to him, rightly so, and I am a minister of God too, and I'm going to write you this ticket for speeding. (laughs) And that is true. (laughs) He also is a minister of God in a different way. Now, look, you'll see this. Look at Romans, the 13th chapter in verse um, six, that God uses unsaved people as ministers or servants of his. Romans chapter 13, look at verse one. Let every soul or really every individual be subject to higher powers or authorities. Um, For there is no power or really I would say authority. Now, really, why do I keep changing this? Because the word for power is not the word dunamis, it's the word exousia. And exousia has the idea of the right to rule. So God has subletted to Satan and to his minions the right to rule the world system today. Now, you see that a good example of it is in uh, Luke, the fourth chapter, when Satan says that I have control over the kingdoms of this world. Did God say, you liar, that ain't true? No, he did not. Satan, for this moment, has control over the kingdoms of the world and the people that he puts in power, uh, as God allows it, are the ones that he wants there. So I understand it. Whoever wins this election coming up, honestly, it's going to be the person that Satan wants there. That's what's going to happen. I know we get all whooped up in frenzy over this, but the person that wins this election is going to be the person that Satan wants there. That's a fact. (laughs) I see some looks at me. (laughs) Well, Satan is going to be allowed to put the man in office that God allows him to put there. He really is. And so whether it's God's program, if God says, okay, I'm at the end of where my program is, he's going to allow Satan to put there the person consummate to that. It really is. I know that takes a lot of steam out of your engine. (laughs) But it's the truth. And so now you see it here. And he says, but every individual be subject to higher authorities, for there is no authority but God. For the authorities that, are, are, uh, that be are ordained of God. And so God is the one that arranged them. See that word ordained? God arranged and allowed these authorities to be where they are. So these people who are fighting against authorities, these people out in the street, they're not just fighting against these authorities, they're also fighting against God. They are. Now notice what he says in verse 2. Whosoever therefore resists the power, that word uh, power again is authority, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves, that word uh, damnation is that they actually shall receive to themselves um, judgment. Now you go out and you do some of the tomfoolery that you see people doing today, you're going to get exactly what you deserve. And don't complain about it. You're going to get exactly what you deserve. <clears throat> For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Will thou not be afraid of the authority? Do that which is good. Uh, that word good is actually agathos. That which is beneficial. You see. And that's beneficial. I really believe is she's talking about someone here that is uh, 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 affected by the Holy Spirit. That agathos there is. And that's where it comes from. And thou shalt have praise of the same. Now notice you see verse 4 here. For he is a minister now, here it uses uh, uh, diakonos, but we're going to see later it uses uh, the other one, of God to, of, uh, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, uh, for he bears not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God to execute wrath upon him that does evil. It really is a servant there is how it's translated. So if you go out and you do something these people, you got these zealots, and they had them back in the, during Christ's earthly ministry, would go out and they believed that even killing was possible in the name of God. You had the crusaders, right? Well, you go out and you do something like that, and you suffer the death penalty. Don't say that you're suffering for the cause of Christ. Please don't say that. You're suffering because you were a fool. That's why you're suffering. And you did something that you shouldn't have done. And it's just interesting. Some of these people who go out and they say that they're suffering for the cause of Christ. No, you're suffering for the cause of being a fool. And you're getting exactly what you deserve. Wherefore, verse 5, you, it is necessary that you be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. Um, for this cause pay ye tribute, for they are God's ministers. And here this word for liturgies. One who serves the public as authorized by God. You see. Now, a lot of people, no matter what construct you have up, and people are always going to be unhappy with whatever governmental construct you have up. No matter what the construct is, what's interesting is that if you have anarchy, nobody can operate. You see. It was a funny thing when they got rid of Saddam Hussein over in in Iraq. There was order in Iraq before they got rid of Saddam Hussein. You might have called him a tyrant, but there was order. (laughs) And as soon as he got out of there, chaos ensued. You cannot have anarchy. God has allowed there to be servants of his who keep control over people, saved and unsaved alike. The alternative is not good. And I thank God for that because that allows us to be able to live a quiet and peaceable life. You can't live a quiet and peaceable life if there's anarchy. And so notice he says here that this is one who is, serves the public as authorized by God. And so you see it a lot with government officials. So the one thing is this is their role, is they're serving in this role as an official capacity of God. And what do they do? They serve him. Now, do they, if you went to some of these guys and asked them, did you know you were a minister of God? I'm sure they'll say, yes, yes, I knew that, right? No, they have no idea. God is allowing Satan to put these people in places to keep some semblance of order in the society. And there's not going to be complete order until he comes back and he sets up the millennial kingdom in which the angels are going to be the cops and he's going to be the government official. He's going to be the beneficent dictator you see people that don't like dictating well he's going to dictate and he's not going to take any polls he's not going to ask people what you think about it 
really. And he's going he's to have the greatest governmental structure set up, and people are going to still rebel. And so you see this idea of ministry. Now you have diakonos, and it emphasizes service done to meet spiritual or physical needs of believers. And so it's, uh, it is exemplified in the Old Testament writing of the Old Testament prophets, and they were ministering for the saints, and they didn't know it in 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter 1.12. Now, this is an interesting thing. So these Old Testament prophets were writing and they did not understand what they were writing about. They were writing for this dispensation and they didn't know it. And so they were asking the Holy Spirit, what is this about? Now, notice what happens here. Verse nine, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was uh, in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister these things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, which with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And so they were prophesying of this grace that was going to come and what God was going to do in this dispensation. They were thinking, well, who is this about? And God says, that's none of your business. This is for some people in the future. And notice this stuff that they were writing about was so profound. It says that the angels lust. Did you know that the angels lust to look into what God is doing with you and me in this dispensation? They are learning something about how God is organizing and doing what he's doing as they watch you and me in this life. Unbelievable, isn't it? And I like what Dr. Schaefer used to say with some believers. All they get is a blank page. Not much to see here. I'm not learning much here today. But I think they're even learning from that. You know what they learn when they see a blank page with Kevin? The grace of God. That he even puts up with somebody like me. Even through all of the stuff that I do. But you see, they were ministering, they were serving God in the writing of those things. And so notice... This uh, uh is emphasizes ministry outside the church and diaconize is used for those serving people of God. Primarily, it's used in that way. Now, look, you could see it in the uh, Gospels. It's used of those who met the physical needs of Christ in uh, Matthew, the eighth chapter in verse 14 through 15. Matthew, chapter eight, verses 14 through 15. And so you had a lot of people that would accompany the Lord and also, as you get into the early church, uh, accompany the apostles. Uh, And a lot of those listings, they'll list them at the end of their books. And we just kind of just look over these people. I mean, they just we don't even think about the fact of what they were involved in, but they were doing service. And so here you see in uh, the eighth chapter of Matthew and notice um, in verse 14. And when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother And she was sick of a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and she ministered unto them. And so she did service unto them. What was she doing? She probably cooked 
and during that time, there were certain protocols that you would have for people who were your guests. You would wash your feet. We don't do that today. If you want to wash feet, we won't be doing that this Saturday. <laughs> we'll have a basin out for you if you feel like you want to do that. <laughs> but back during that time, that was a customary thing because people wore sandals and such. And so this idea of service. And so there was service that you would do as, and so a lot of it was just menial service that you would do in which you would do things to try to provide for the physical needs of people. And that's what I believe that this spiritual gift is, is that it's focused on really meeting the physical needs of the congregation. And so uh, you see that uh, all spiritual gifts are seen as ministry. We won't look at that, but diakonos involves work that is performed to advance God's plan and purposes. Now notice you see that saints are perfected for this purpose in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and verse 12. And so all ministry is seen as uh, our, our, these spiritual gifts are seen as being involved in service to God or doing ministry to God. But this one with the gift of ministry, it's more focused on doing particular things uh, within the body. And some would say that they're the, the menial task uh, that um, uh, of, that needs to be done and taking care of things uh, within the body. And so notice in verse 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and I would say even teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And I would say not for, but into a work of ministry. And so the idea of these teaching gifts, they adjust the saints. And what what happens as a result of the adjustment of the saints is that you then are able to function and do the ministry that God has for you. You see. And so the church is supposed to be a place that when believers come together and meet, all of the gifts are working in such a way, and particularly as the, the word of God is taught accurately, that the saints are adjusted. Uh, that word adjusting is actually the set. Everything is set in place. Whatever is ailing you is set in place and you now are able to do those things and serve God in the way that he wants you to serve. And so this idea of uh, ministry has that idea of to perform and advance uh, God's plan and purposes to serve. And so the work can involve spiritual and carnal things. And so look at the, uh, the uh, carnal aspect of it. You see it in Acts, the sixth chapter, in verse 2. And when I say carnal, I don't mean uh, using your sin nature. I mean uh, physical things, the business of the church. There are things in the business of the church, and I believe that this is the focus of the person with the spiritual gift, is they help to take care of the business of the church. And so somebody has to turn the lights on. Somebody has to unlock the church. Somebody has to turn the air conditioner on or there will be trouble (laughs) uh, among the saints. Somebody has to clean up. Somebody has to pay the bills. And that person with this gift has the ability they're doubled down and they're focused on taking care of those kind of things so that the church doesn't have to worry about them. Now, here you see that this word is used of these. In the early church, they were, um, the apostles were taking care of a lot of this. And so what did they, they were doing? They were taking, uh, taking care of the widows in the church and they were serving food. But this was taking up all of their time. And so they couldn't devote themselves to teaching. And notice what happens here. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose uh, a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And so there was some conflict there because of uh, some thought that they were getting a little bit more than others. Well, you can see a little that happens. The 
just didn't start now. Chapter verse two. Then the disciples, the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so you have the spiritual aspect of it, of taking care of the word of God. And then you had this need of service. And there's a lot of need in the local church, in the body of Christ, to take care of the physical needs of the saints. Well, I've told you before that there is a difference in what Scripture says, that there is a spiritual realm of authority in which the pastor teachers are engaged in and focus on teaching the Word of God, and then there's a business realm of authority in which it's different. And I believe that particularly the deacons take care of that. And ideally, you have somebody who's a deacon who has the gift of administration or who has the gift of ministry. And they ideally are suited to take care of the business of the church. They make sure that the saints are being taken care of. If Miss so-and-so is without food, really the deacon and those who have that gift of ministry are engaged in that to make sure that that's taken care of, to where there is no, not a believer who is suffering in that way. And you can see that the standard was set there. Now notice, it is also used in a spiritual sense of uh, teaching proper doctrine, and we've seen that. Now, notice diaconites also involved the use of one's own resources. And this is what's interesting about it. Look at Acts, the 20th chapter, and verse 34. Now, Paul did something that most people don't think that they would do. Notice what he says here. This is totally um, different from how people see uh, things today. Uh, if you don't have money, most people who don't have money think that somebody should help me. Do you know that the church of Thessalonica or the church of Macedonia, they were the poorest of saints? And yet when they found out that there was a famine in Jerusalem, they begged Paul to take an offering from them. You wouldn't think that, right? Because in the society that we're in, we're told that if you have less, people should help you. Right? Well, these Macedonians, they they didn't look at what they didn't have. They wanted to give from what they didn't have, you see. And notice Paul, just he sets this, this is a totally different mindset as a believer is spiritual. Notice his mindset here. He says, uh, verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day without, with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now notice what is able to make you strong? The word of God's grace. Grace has the power to make you strong. And I'm not talking about like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm talking about up here. Grace has the ability to make you strong. And to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands... Notice, have ministered to my necessities. And this is what you see with this word of ministering. There are needs, the word of a necessity. There's needs that people have. And so in the church, you will find that there are people who are not able to take care of their needs. There are needs that the local church has. And he says, 
My hands have not only ministered to my necessities, but to them that are with me. Isn't that a different mindset? Paul not only worked, he worked as a tent maker to take care of himself. And not only did he take care of himself, but he took care of other people who were with him as well. I mean, it's just really odd today because people don't think like this. And notice he says, and I have showed you all things how so laboring that you ought, it is necessary to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, we've kind of turned that upside down, right? It's better to receive than to give. But God says it is actually happier to give than to receive. But notice, he used his own resources in ministering to other saints. He not only worked for himself, he worked to meet the needs of those who were laboring together with him. And so the Lord is aware of the ministry of the saints, and he understands that what we're doing here, I don't see what we're doing here as just marking time. I don't get up and every day that I, I, I live, I don't think that I'm just punching the clock and it's just an abstract day that went by. I don't see life that way. We're not just marking time. Every day that we live is an important day. And there's something being accomplished in that day in which God may use you to bring glory to himself. We're not just marking time. And so look at if you see in, in Revelation, the, 12, the uh, second chapter in verse 19. <clears throat> notice what is said here uh, about these churches. And here we see uh, here <clears throat> um, to the church of Thyatira, what he says, I know thy works and thy charity and thy service and thy faith. And thy patience, uh, and thy works, and that the last be more than the first. And so God is very familiar with what's going on with believers in this church in Thyatira. He was aware. He knew the facts of what they were doing, and the works that they were doing, and the service that they were doing. Now, I think what's going to happen is that uh, these things that we're doing are going to come up at the Bema Seat Judgment. You might think that you're marking time, but God's not marking time. So the works that we do on a daily basis, they're all going to come up for judgment at the Bema Seat Judgment immediately after the rapture. And they're going to be judged on the basis of the legitimacy of whether they were done uh, out from the Holy Spirit. And so God is aware of those. Notice there are examples of ministry throughout the uh, early church, and we've seen this. Uh, Let's look, if we could, at Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And uh, these ones that were involved, these uh, Jewish believers, when they were spiritual, they were actually doing service toward the saints. Do you know you can get up, you can get caught up into things? And I think here it was uh, really uh, the world system. <clears throat> they wanted to go back onto J- Judaism, and uh, and it, they got discouraged by it because the temple had been torn down and they couldn't do it, and uh, and they stopped doing the things they were doing at the beginning. And this is what Paul was talking about in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And notice in verse, um, let's start with one. And this really it does the opposite of what you think. A lot of people will come here and say, see, you can lose your salvation. It actually 
proves the opposite. You can't lose your salvation. Notice what he says in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to, that word perfection is maturity. He said, let's not get caught up in little penny anythings about whether or not, uh, you know, what repentance is. And stuff. Well, we should move on from this. And he says, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and for faith from God and for the doctrines of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Notice these people who they, they you cannot be enlightened and not be saved. That means they had some involvement with the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, the ages to come, if they should fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Now, what is he saying here? You see these people that go down to the altar call every Sunday and say they got to be saved all over again. You know what you're doing when you say that? You're crucifying God in the over the Christ over and over and over again. You're saying that the work that he did was not enough. So I got to go back down every Sunday and have it done over again. It's not enough. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, you can't go back to, be- to the beginning if you do that. He says, seeing that you crucify your, uh, themselves, the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes oft upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them to whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. And that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But notice here, he's not talking about uh, having, uh, talking about people who are unsaved, who've lost their salvation. Notice what he says in verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you, things that accompany salvation. Uh, though we thus speak for God is not unrighteous to forget. Notice here your work and your labor from love, which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. They were in the process of ministering. These are not unsafe people. Notice this ideal of work. Deeds performed on behalf of the saints. If you look at work, and that's not to say all of the work is toward the saints, but certainly this labor and the ministering is directed, notice he says, toward the unsaved world, toward the saints. Service that is done toward the saints. Notice, and notice this labor. Uh, Labor is tirelessly working. You ever done something that you just, you would just, Worked hard and it was difficult, but it didn't bother you because you really enjoyed doing it. And notice where did that come from? You have that kind of labor. It only comes from love. And so, you know, again, we we keep telling you, if you, if you are engaging in something and you don't want to do it, don't. Don't do it. I mean, if you really love the saints, you, you labor and you'll labor tirelessly because you want to. You want to do it. My goodness, I don't know about you, but if somebody says to me, you ask them to do something, they say, do you want it? I'm, you guys might. I don't. It just takes away the whole fun of it. <laughs> when people, 
Now, I do that sometimes when my wife asks me to get up out of the bed to go do something. But it doesn't bother her. <laughs> she still is okay with it. <laughs> but for me, I mean, if you want that, but when you, when you want to do something and it's from love, you can do it forever and it doesn't bother you. doesn't mean you don't get tired. But your love for the saints engage you to continue to do it. That's a huge difference. See this kind of service and ministry? It is not born by saying, we've got to get the work done. Well, we've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. No, it's not born by that at all. It's born by the fact that you have people who love each other and the result is they'll labor until the dogs come home in order to get a particular project done. And that makes a big difference. And so you see that, and notice one other thing, look at 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, you see these believers here. Notice it was interesting what he says about them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. And so here you have the, um, <clears throat> the household of Stephanas, and what he says, he says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanas, that it is of the first fruits of, Ant- of Achaia, Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry. And notice that, who is that ministry to? The saints. Service to the saints. Serving the saints. So many believers have been told that your focus should be serving the unsaved man. So many believers have been told that. And the direction of a lot of believers are toward the unsaved man. What a shame. And the church is dying on the vine as a result of it. And notice this idea of addicted themselves is they really is they a tasso. This idea is to place in a certain order or to range themselves. And so they did it for themselves. It's a reflexive pronoun here. They for themselves arranged themselves in order to meet the needs of the saints. They arranged them. They went out of their way and arranged their order of their life. And their focus was to meet the needs of the saints. And so, I mean, we don't always think like that, right? Well, I know that we go out of our way to meet our needs. But it's a whole different thing when you're talking about meeting the needs of others. Ministry is a gift where the giftee is consumed with the service of the body of Christ. And so in Romans, the 12th chapter, he says this word for the gift is used of the word diakonos uh, is any accusative. And it has this idea of a minister or ministry. And so it's used generally of uh, Paul's work in Second Corinthians 4.1. And it's used also for Timothy. Notice in Second Timothy, chapter four and verse five. This is actually the only time this is used. So we use the word for ministry as we look through to see what it is. And we can come to a conclusion about what this person who has the gift does. And what we see in scripture with this word is that they are they serve and they are able to do the task and the business of the church. And so here with Timothy it's used in a spiritual way. Notice he says in verse five, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And this, he was here in a spiritual sense. And I think here uh, in Romans, the 12th chapter, 
it's used of a particular person that has the gift. And I think some of it might be um, spiritual, but most of it is what you see in Acts 6, where it's dealing with the uh, physical needs, the needs of the saints, the, the physical needs of the saints uh, is what you see. And so he says, and though back in Romans 12, 7, he says, and they that minister, let us wait on our ministering. That's really a bad translation there. And I would really translate it this way. It's they that minister, let us minister with the advantage of serving. And so those who have this gift, they're looking at totally serving the saints. That's what they are caught up in. And so it's not like you have to say to someone, if you have to tell somebody this has to be done. That takes really the fun away from it, right? A person with the gift of ministering and the way that they are led by the Holy Spirit is they see something and they're led to do it. That they just, their natural inclination is that they see needs in the body of Christ and they look to take care of those needs. And the Holy Spirit's the one's guiding it. Man, they come up with stuff. If you allow somebody who has that gift to just operate, they come up with stuff that you and I could never think about. Because the Holy Spirit is directing them in such a way that they have the ability to see what the need is. And they're able to zero in on it. I just think it's a great thing when you just allow the Holy Spirit to work in the life of people. And not micromanage every little thing that goes on in someone's life. Isn't it great when the Holy Spirit does that? That he understands better what people need and how people need to operate than any human being could ever know. And you see that with that gift. Now, I would say that these are the traits that a person that has this gift would have is they love to serve others above the average believer. Now, we all serve each other, but this person they like to serve above the average believer. They will do things unprompted that you see that they're led to do. They see a need, they do it. They yearn to do the task um, among the body of Christ that meets the needs of the saints. I mean, you just, I see people who do things around here um, that, that are things that just need to be done, but it doesn't mean that their spiritual gift is ministry. But I, if you have a person with a spiritual gift of ministry, they just, they do it over the top. I mean, they, they're constantly doing it, unprompted, and they're led to do it. And you know what? I think that when you're using your spiritual gift, I don't think that there's the complaint. Maybe when you're, when you're carnal. I mean, I don't get up. I don't think I've, in 21 years, my wife has heard me say, oh, gotta go preach. <laughs> she doesn't hear. Can you imagine that? So I'm going to study. Oh, gotta go study. <laughs> you just don't do that when you're prompted by the Spirit. You don't. It's not evident. I mean, when you are led by the Holy Spirit to do something, He's the one empowering you to do it, and you have the power to do it. You have the desire. He puts the desire for you to do it. You see, where I get when I'm like that, where I you know, feel like I don't want to do something, and I, <clears throat> I, that's probably an indicator. Maybe I need to check whether the Holy Spirit is leading me to do that, honestly. And this person who has the gift of ministry works tirelessly in the needs of, uh, for the needs of the body. 
without complaint. They're working tirelessly for the needs of the body without complaint. Yeah, all of us serve. We all can do ministry, ministerial things. There are people who come on the second weekend and um, each month and we clean up the church. But there are people who have the ability and the desire to do that over and above what the average believer has the ability to do. And that's what that spiritual gift of ministry is. And so in your uh, foldout, uh, you can see that, that he cares for the physical needs. He yearns to aid the, the needs of the saints. And those needs are supplied. Now, I think if you look at Tychicus, he would be an example of that, a good illustration of that and how it's used there in Colossians 4, 7. And so what we want to do with that chart is try to get you thinking about what that gift is, how it looks, and what would be a good illustration of it um, in Scripture. I don't know that all those illustrations are, you know, again, I think most of them are pretty straight on. One I would question with James, but he's a good uh, example of somebody that would be an admin- that did administrate in the early church, but they try to help you to be able to see because I think that when you understand what your spiritual gift is, and you're probably already using it because the Holy Spirit, when you're spiritual, He's going to work in you that way. When you understand it and the faith that God gives you to use it, and you put those together, I really think it gives you confidence in how you're being used in the body of Christ. And you'll understand how your mind is being oriented in a certain way. And you'll see that the Holy Spirit's going to be using you that way. And it makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things. And grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to be used by you, to use our spiritual gift, to bring glory to you. Thankful for the person that has this gift of ministry. And how you use them in the body of Christ to meet the needs of the saints. They do so many things that go unnoticed that the average believer probably would not notice what they do. And we're thankful that you use them in this way. And it causes the church to function in such a way in which there is order, in which the church is able to take care of its business and function in a way that brings glory to you. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.